either one of these any good? Wow, this is a good movie. It's pretty good. Well, the director from yesterday doesn't think so. It stinks. You sorry. You waste all our film. <laughs> it's so bad. Big movies and a big special guest this week. Exciting. Welcome in. This is the Screening Room Podcast. She is Hope Madden. He's George Wolf. And we are from MadWolf.com. And let's start with a single mom and her two kids arriving in a small town. And then they begin to discover their connection to the original Ghostbusters and the secret legacy their grandfather left behind. This is Ghostbusters Afterlife. What is happening here? Somehow, the town with no fault lines is shaking on a daily basis. Maybe it's the apocalypse. Egon came out here for a reason. Are you troubled by strange noises in the middle of the night? You experience feelings of dread in your basement or attic? Have you or any of your family ever seen a spook, specter, or ghost? Well, before we talk about the movie, we are so excited to have McKenna Grace, one of the stars of Ghostbusters Afterlife, to join us here today on The Screening Room. Welcome, McKenna. So nice to meet you on the phone. Oh, my goodness. It's a pleasure to meet you as well. Thank you for having me. Oh, yeah. Now, we just saw the movie last night, so wonderful, wonderful job. Thank you. Oh, my goodness. And, and you play, uh, we're not going to give anything away, but you play Phoebe granddaughter of the original Ghostbuster, Egon Spengler. Now, she's a young science whiz who likes to tell corny jokes. And for the record, I thought they were funny, especially the one about the hamster and the cigarette. (laughs) Yes, I I love all those jokes. Something, a really fun fact is that all those jokes were ones that I came on the set with. I told a different joke every single take. Uh, All of those jokes I came up with. Nice. I laughed. Yes, I laughed out loud. That's hilarious. I got to ask, how much fun was it to sit in a gunner seat and strap on that proton pack? Because you were living the dream of countless 80s kids like me. I know. Oh, my gosh. It was crazy. I, every single day that I went on a set, I was fangirling over something. Uh, it, it was so exciting, losing my mind every single time I get to see the Ecto-1, much less sit in it. I mean, I have memories from whenever I was, like, six, and I would go to the Sony lot for the first time for, for auditions and things like that, and I would go, and I'd always see the Ghostbusters car because they have it on the Sony lot, and I would go, and I'd try to wipe off the windows and look on the inside to see what was <laughs> in there, but oh, that car was so dusty, all the dust was on the inside, so I couldn't even look inside, but to, to be in the car shooting a proton pack and, and sitting on the gunner seat was insane. So, so you were very familiar with the original movie already? Oh, yes. It's always been one of my all-time favorites. It's such a classic. And now you've given uh, science nerds everywhere a new hero. Oh, my gosh. Let's hope. That's such a cool thought. Um, (laughs) Yeah, I mean, Phoebe's so fun. She's such a logical character, so seeing her come to terms with the fact that, that, you know, ghosts are are here and her... um, grandfather was a ghostbuster is really fun to be able to watch and she really has the biggest arc i mean early on she's shy and they make comments about her not being able to make friends and by the end she's i mean she's a badass oh thank you (laughs) 
Um, yeah, I think that her character arc is so fun to be able to watch because I love how she doesn't go through this big, you know, physical transformation where she's, you know, quote, you know, like beautiful or goes through a makeover or changes her personality because she's still the same Phoebe from the beginning of the movie. Yeah. She's just more confident in her abilities to bust ghosts, you know? <laughs> uh, it's so fun to be able to watch that because I like how she doesn't change herself and I like how she stays true to the Phoebe that, that you know, that we right. watch. Right, and what what surprised me, actually what will probably surprise a lot of people because we're used to seeing you on screen, but you have the song, you sing the song, and you wrote the song that comes on at the end of the credits, and actually we got a little bit of a clip, clip of it. It's called Haunted House. Take a listen. Never leaves a haunted house. That is awesome. Congratulations. Oh my goodness, thank you so much. It's so cool that you played a clip of my song. I'm losing my mind. Thank We're, you. You're welcome. We're gonna add that to our running playlist right now. But you didn't write that song just for the movie though. No, I didn't, but what you just said means the world to me. Um, but, yeah, I didn't. I wrote it a while ago, actually, and I just had sent it to Mr. Jason Reitman to see if maybe he would direct the music video I had written. And he was like, you know, I, I would love to, but I'm so busy right now. I really want to, but I, I just I can't stop listening to the song. Do you think maybe I could just try maybe putting it in the in credits? If, if you're fine with it, of course. <laughs> yeah. And I'll just, Excuse me, sir, I would love you to. Like, that would mean, like, that's insane. Of course, and somehow, so randomly, with this song that I didn't even think was going to be my first single, is now being released like three months before we had planned it to be, and it's so exciting. I, w- I was going to ask you a question that might seem random at this point, but you've, you've made a ton of scary movies. I'm a massive horror movie fan, but I'm curious, are there any that you made that you were not allowed to watch when they came out? Um, no, because I, too, am a big horror movie fan. Yay! So since I was super little, that's always been my favorite to watch is horror movies, because that's like my dad and I thing. We love horror films. And so I always love watching my horror films after they come out. It's so fun. See, we, we knew you were good people. We knew it. <laughs> <laughs> so you're, you're in a ton of movies. Congrats, by the way, on the Emmy nomination for The Handmaid's Tale. Um, and now you're writing and, and recording your own music at the tender age of 15. So make us all feel better and tell us one thing that you're terrible at. <laughs> oh, goodness. Um, I'm horrible uh, at dancing. I <laughs> am. I'm a, guitar is quite difficult for me, but I'm learning it right now. Uh, oh, I have no fashion. Gosh, I have no fashion sense. <laughs> my mom still helps me pick out my clothes in the morning. Like right now, if you can see me, I have on like astro- astronomy pajama pants and then a Christmas sweater with ghosts on it. <laughs> oh, nice. <laughs> well, Ghostbusters Afterlife is out, and the song is coming out the same day as the movie, correct? It is, yes. It's, um, it's coming out so soon. I mean, I'm, I'm losing my mind just thinking about it. Uh, it's crazy that it's finally coming out. Absolutely crazy to me. I cannot wait for the world to hear it. Yeah, well, congratulations on all the success uh, on screen. Best of luck and future success in music. Now, if you don't mind, we're going to stand in front of the phone and we're going to take a selfie with you that way, so smile. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, yes, you can't see it, but I'm cheesing. I'm smiling. (laughs) 
Well, it was a pleasure to talk to you. Thank you so much, and best of luck on everything. Oh, my goodness. Thank you so, so much for having me and playing a clip of my song. I can't believe it. <laughs> Thank you all so much. Have the best day. You too. You. Take care. What a sweetheart. She is so sweet. And we've, you know, we've been noticing her for a while now in movies, and she's always good. And this, she really becomes the the main hero, the main star of this movie. She is. She's the lead, which I thought was interesting because she wasn't that prominent in the trailers, but she does a great job of carrying this film. Yeah, she really does. And um, it, it's a lot of fun. It's If you didn't know, it's co-written and directed by Jason Reitman, who is the son of Ivan Reitman, who did the original Ghostbusters. And this thing is just steeped in so much nostalgia. I mean, it's you can tell that it's, it's created by and created for people that love the original movie. It's just everywhere you turn, it's callbacks and homages to the original film. And I just think, I think it's going to be a really big crowd pleaser. I think so too. And of the two of us, I'm a bigger fan of the original. You like the original, but I'm one of those. I'm one of the diehard. I love (laughs) Ghostbusters. And, you know, for me, this movie was, it's just a joy to watch. It really was. It's very, very well made. One of the things that I liked about it, though, is that, Anymore, it's kind of hard, I think, to get away with a bunch of man-childs who are behaving in ridiculous ways. And to make up for that, it's children. It's kids, right? It's like a Goonies kind of a thing. It's these four kids who discover that Egon Spengler moved out to a dirt farm basically to protect the world from impending doom. And now that he's gone, they're going to have to do it. And I think that that it helps a lot to bring the movie into present day. Yeah, and I think that was a smart move on Reitman's part because if he's got a bunch of fans of the original film who are now what? They are parents and they are grandparents. And so they're basing the movie in kids who are children and grandchildren. So, yeah, it's 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 a smart move there, and it is a lot of fun. And it helps that the kids, not just McKenna Grace, all the kids are great. Uh, Finn Wolfhard, who we've seen be good in a lot of stuff. And then the, little, the kid that plays uh, podcast, uh, her buddy, podcast, who I'd not seen in anything. Logan Kim is his name. He's fantastic as well. Oh, he is. He's absolutely adorable. And and he and she, he and McKenna Grace have a great chemistry because she's very reserved and quiet, and he's not. He's real outgoing, and they, they do. They have just a great chemistry. Yeah, they really do. And then the, the fourth uh, kid in the quartet is um, Lucky, who's the crush of Trevor, played by Finn Wolfhard. And she's Celeste O'Connor, who we just saw in Freaky. She's the friend in Freaky. So, yeah, they're all good, and then they have a little bit of fun interplay with Paul Rudd, who, you know, brings his 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 Paul Rudd persona. He's perfect for that type of role as uh, McKenna Grace's teacher, who first discovers that there's some seismic activity going on in the town that they uh, that they can't understand. So you've got all this this fun nostalgia of, of Ghostbusters going on. And the one thing, you mentioned the trailer. The one thing, the, the trailer, the original, the first time we saw the trailer, it had me worried. It didn't seem like that much of a comedy to me at the time. I am happy to report that it is funny. It's just funny in a different way. Yeah, it, it is. But it is funny. And and I, I want to circle back, though, again. One of the things that I really appreciated about this is that it uses almost the same soundtrack. Yes. Uh, you know, not just the actual, like, songs, like the song Ghostbusters, but the the music that runs throughout. Right. And, and it helped to create not just a nostalgic tone, but the same kind of fun atmosphere as the first one. I was glad that they just, they used the original Ray Parker Jr. Ghostbusters song. They didn't bring in with a new remix. and I But that is totally appropriate and totally in line with this feeling, this sense of nostalgia. Fan service. Yeah, absolutely fan service that it has for the original movie. 
Uh, so it's a it's a fun adventure. The the CGI is pretty slick, especially when you can say that it's good, but in certain instances it's not too good. Because I'm thinking especially of the you know the demonic guard dogs. If you look back and watch the original one now, <laughs> I mean that was pretty rough. Uh, so they look much better, but they don't look too good. Yeah, exactly. They're not Ray Harryhausen, but at the same time, <laughs> they're not super slick looking yeah. so that they don't make you feel. I mean, the whole movie just doesn't it doesn't take you out of that nostalgia. And in, and in fact, and I think you agree with me, that's eventually the drawback. It's a really fun movie. I enjoyed it very, very much there. The climax, however, goes uh, for me just too far with nostalgia plus schmaltz. I agree, and it was, it's funny to hear you say that because I saw it first, and I thought that, and I knew you were a bigger fan of the original than I was, and I thought, I'm going to wait and see. And of course, I didn't tell you about the, the, uh, what happens in the finale, but I wanted to see if you felt that way as well, and you, and you did. It's just, it just goes so far over the line with the, with the nostalgia and the schmaltz. I think in that instance, less is more. Um, but uh, I still think it's going to be a crowd pleaser. And as as you may have heard, stick around uh, in the credits. You have a, a scene halfway through, and then you have one at the very, very end. Uh, and also, we won't spoil it, but there's there's a famous face that plays Zool who doesn't get a credit. It may be out there on the, on the internet, but we won't spoil that either. But see if you can figure it out. But all in all, I think they've got they they do have a winner. I know a lot of people were down on the 2016 reboot with the all female cast. I still think it's underrated. I do. Um, and speaking of that, this version obviously doesn't reference that version, but it also s- sort of exists in a world where the Ghostbusters 2 sequel from 89 doesn't exist either. I wish I existed in a world where the Ghostbusters <laughs> 2 sequel didn't exist. <laughs> it, it's sort of, it's it's not blatant about it, but it just casually forgets anything that happened in that world. So all in all, yeah, recommended. I, we think, we both think it goes little too far with the uh, with the schmaltz, or even much too far <laughs> with the schmaltz at the end. But uh, I think they've got a crowd pleaser and definitely would recommend checking it out, especially if you're a fan of the first one. If you if you haven't, and we've been asked this uh, in the last few days, if you haven't seen the first one... What's wrong with you? That's well, the answer to that. Yeah, Why haven't you seen the first I, one? I just have a hard time even removing this from from that from the first one. I just can't fathom them existing separately. Uh, because it's made, it's not, if, if that's your case, this is not made for you. It's not. You might still find it entertaining, but it's just not really interested in, you, in your situation. This is made for the lovers of the first film, and I think uh, you will definitely enjoy it. In theaters now, Ghostbusters Afterlife. And thanks again to the delightful McKenna Grace. Thanks so much. Special guest on the show. Hopefully the first of many. Next is a look at how tennis superstars Venus and Serena Williams became who they are after the coaching from their father, Richard Williams. This is called King Richard. I got these two great tennis players. All we need is a club. Everything to go from prodigy to pro. Raise your hand, Serena. Venus Williams. What you think? Nobody's taking that bet. Tennis takes expert instruction. It takes families with unlimited financial resources. It's like asking somebody to believe that you got the next two Mozarts in your house. Venus and Serena gonna shake up this world. Well, if you've seen the trailers and you detected the smell of Will Smith, Oscar bait, cannot blame you for that. But number one, I would say don't be surprised if he gets a nomination. 
Uh, and he is good. He's better than most, I think, of his performances here. Uh, but he's surrounded by a great cast and a good story that is able to, for the most part, sidestep a lot of those common cliches that sports movies especially uh, fall into for a story that really is compelling and it's really inspiring as well. And they're able to find some some resonant layers of, of, of drama and humanity to keep this really, really watchable. Yeah, it's an interesting approach to a sports sort of biopic because the athletes themselves are not the primary focus. And so that helps because we know less about the primary focus. And that, of course, is their father, Venus and Serena Williams' dad, who was sort of, you know, for a long time, the architect of their success and an unusual character as well. So an interesting central figure. But you're right. I mean, it's the people around Will Smith, to me, that make this movie as watchable as it is, especially Anjanou Ellis from, for me, from um, Lovecraft Country. Yeah, from Lovecraft Country. But she's she was, great. She's, she is exceptional in this movie. Yeah, and also the two kids that play Venus and Serena. Uh, Sanaya Sidney plays Venus, and Demi Singleton plays Serena. And this mainly is, the story is mainly centered more around Venus because she was the oldest. She was the first one to achieve success on the tour. But uh, it starts when they were very young, and it really focuses on how Richard and Brandy, um, his wife, had this plan from pretty much the day they were born to be these tennis superstars and to be successful uh, in sport and successful in life. And, of course, tennis, a sport for the, the rich and the white, and they were neither coming from Compton, California. So they had those struggles, and, of course, they had the added struggles of racism that the film deals with, I think, in a nicely subtle way, because when you have a parent that comes to you and tells you that my kids are going to be the next sports superstars, well, you can find a bunch of those people on your block. Everybody, every every parent thinks, oh, my kid is going to be the next sports superstar. So it was understandable that people doubted him. But then even when they showed the talent he had to overcome and they had to overcome even more obstacles. So I think on one hand, the movie does a good job dealing with that. And uh, the writer, I think in his debut screenplay, is Zach Balin, and the director is Ronaldo Marcus Green. But also at other times, I think they almost downplay some of their obstacles. And it seemed to me that it was maybe done in the editing bay because this movie does run two hours, that they maybe had to move on to the next thing. But uh, it seems to a couple times, just maybe just check off list. Okay, we have to acknowledge this happened, and then we're moving on. So a couple of times I felt that. And then when you see that the family, Venus and Serena, are executive producers, or then you wonder, okay, well, how much warts and all are they going to allow about their father? I think they do let some in. Not, not as much as maybe an outside filmmaking group would have done who weren't related to the main subject of this movie, but they do deal with some somewhat more problematic and complex issues of his personality. I do think he's a fairly complicated character, and I think that they, they do justice to that. I also want to, to point out John Bernthal, who is always good. I mean, I've never seen him in anything where I didn't think he was very good, but this is really playing against type, and he was so good in it. And one of the things that I liked about his performance is that his performance, I think, let uh, Sonia Sidney shine a little bit. You saw 
her um, with a sort of a she she got to take on a little bit of a different personality when she was dealing with somebody who was not her father. And it, you so you got to see, uh, I think, a broader performance because of this great chemistry that that actress had with John Bernthal. Yeah, John Bernthal plays her coach, her main coach. And he you're right. He's against type. This time he's not playing a tough guy. Uh, he's just this energetic cheerleader guy who's a tennis coach and everybody. And then he really is good. But And also, we should say, the tennis sequences are pretty darn good. That's true. They're well-staged, and the movie has a nice pace. So overall, I think it's well done for a sports biography and well worth uh, checking out. And, and inspirational, it really is, because it is a compelling story. And it reminds you that even though Venus and Serena are certainly on the, the downward portion of their career because they've gotten older, it just reminds you, if you've been paying attention, how lucky we've been to see them because they're exceptional. Uh, not only in athletes, but they've become exceptional in life. And then this movie says, well, a lot of that is to do to their father. And we should mention, too, their mother, because even though she is put in the background compared to him, Ingenue Ellis's performance is so great. They do find ways to remind you that, hey, she was part of this, too, uh, that, uh, that is worthwhile to mention. So all in all, a good job for King Richard. And it is in theaters and on HBO Max. Got a musical next. On the cusp of his 30th birthday, a promising young theater composer navigates love, friendship, and the pressures of life as an artist in New York City. This is Tick, Tick, Boom. Hey, boy genius. The fuse has been lit. The clock counts down the seconds. That sounds great. Do you know how many Jonathan Larsons there are? One. The flame gets closer and closer closer until all at once everything explodes did you have any idea that andrew garfield could sing i didn't i didn't but he can and he's really, really good in this lead role. And this was directed by Lin-Manuel Miranda. And you think, okay, musical, Lin-Manuel Miranda. But it's not his musical. This is a musical by Jonathan Larson, who went on after this to write the Pulitzer Prize-winning, Tony Award-winning, worldwide sensation Rent. And sadly, he died soon after of an aortic aneurysm. But this is his salute to the life of trying to make it on Broadway, the creative process and all that went into sticking to your dreams, sort of like uh, King Richard we just talked about, sticking it out, just have a dogged stubbornness about it. And uh, it's really well staged, especially if you like musicals, and I know you do. (laughs) Uh, But I do. It is impressive. It suffers a little bit from, uh, I think, a lack of intimacy. It goes big. And because of that, I think, toward the end, maybe you don't feel like you've gotten to know the character that is essentially Jonathan Larson. It's a very autobiographical work. Maybe don't know him as much as you might have liked to, but it's it's very enjoyable. All the musical numbers are well staged by Miranda, and as you mentioned, Andrew Garfield uh, does a great job. And he gets some great support in the ensemble. Alexandra Shipp plays his girlfriend, and in a great cameo, Bradley Whitford plays Stephen Sondheim, and he has him down. Very good. And Vanessa Hudgens really impressed me, too. She has... I know she started out in that high school musical, but she has a great voice, and it's really showcased here in this. And Judith Light has a great cameo as well as uh, John's uh, agent. But this is Garfield's show, and he really captures that 
just frenetic, you know, no sleep till curtain time, got to work, got to keep going. Um, this is my only kind of life for me. He captures that and the just the, the creative process and how these and how this man and people like him had to choose between is this the time where I have to get a real job? You know, my my friends now have given it up and they're getting real jobs and they're making money. Uh, and this is going to affect my relationship. My girlfriend is ready to leave and all those sort of things where you just keep your eye on the dream. And in this case, this character just couldn't fathom any other way to live. And even though this was before he got that real huge success, it's an interesting look at at sticking it out. And it's a it's an tribute to all those people that live the life. And you're going to see a lot of Easter eggs and a lot of famous faces in cameos here, including a couple from Hamilton and uh, and other shows. But uh, it's it's worth checking out, and you can find it on Netflix. It's also in some theaters right now. But uh, well done for a big production directed by Lin-Manuel Miranda, and especially if you love this type of movie, you will appreciate Tick, Tick, Boom. Next up, it's an American soldier stationed in Rome when the Vatican is blown up, embarking on a hero's journey to uncover and defend against an unknown enemy threatening the entire world. This is zeros and ones. So when is this going to happen? It is happening for a thousand years. We had a deal. Your brother can expose everything. I have done what is mine to do. The world is watching what happens here. It's on. Is he here now? I would light myself on fire! How come no one is lighting themselves on fire? Where's my brother? Oh, oh, oh! I'm gonna die. This is the latest from a writer-director we're always interested in, and he's often controversial. It's Abel Ferrara. And if you watch this movie and figure out that plot, I'll give you a dollar. Because it's definitely not exactly a plot-driven film. It's imagery, and it's sort of atmosphere, and it's sort of themes, and it weaves in and out. And it's very definitely a COVID film, not only because you can tell that it was made, because there's almost never anybody in the same room with each other, and it's mostly these deserted streets. But but Abel Ferrara, it might be the one filmmaker where... He, that benefits him. He's not he's not working under certain constrictions. He embraced that. If you're if you're familiar with his films at all, you can see where filming during the apocalypse probably really appealed to him. Ethan Hawke plays the military expert who is kind of trying to figure out what's going on. He also plays his own brother, who is a freedom fighter, his he who he is trying to find. And uh, he's a great choice for these roles, Ethan Hawke. Even with very limited sort of dialogue in the entire film, he does a great job of articulating two very different and interesting characters. The movie doesn't make a great deal of sense. I'm not sure it's really supposed to. It's very sort of poetic and dreamlike. Um, it's also a little bit tedious, and it and it tends to indulge in a lot of the same kind of ideology and kind of almost gimmickry, I think, that that Ferrara films often do. But if you are a fan of Abel Ferrara films, this is um, a lot like the, the last few that he has made with Willem Dafoe, the ones that are very, very loosely plotted and, and sort of just uh, image-driven. So if that's your bag, I'm sure that you will enjoy it. And if you don't know him, um, Bad Lieutenant is one of his. All the way back to Driller Killer, which was his yeah. first one. Yeah, he can be extreme. He can be an acquired taste. But if uh, if you acquired it, 
This one is uh, in theaters, uh, in some theaters, and on VOD uh, right now called Zeros and Ones. Next is a documentary recounting the extraordinary life of author Kurt Vonnegut and the 25-year friendship with the filmmaker who set out to document it. This is called Kurt Vonnegut, Unstuck in Time. Kurt told me once, we don't understand the first thing about time. This is how he experienced life. When you take almost 40 years to make a film, you owe some kind of an explanation. Billy Pilgrim has come unstuck in time. What happens when a writer stops writing? Sadness is an interesting emotion. I prefer laughter to crying. <laughs> Vonnegut shows that it's not the end, it's the journey. Hi, Bob, this is Kurt. I want to thank you for your friendship. Love you. Filmmaker Robert Whitey has come to great success as one of the directors and the producer of the of the TV show Curb Your Enthusiasm. But when he was in high school, he fell for Kurt Vonnegut, as a lot of people do. And then not long after high school, he he got a chance to to start documenting him because he sent him a letter. I'd like to make a documentary about you. And Kurt Vonnegut wrote him back. And one of the, generally speaking, when I watch a documentary, I don't really care what the filmmaker themselves has to say about any of this. But the truth is, this is not just a documentary about Kurt Vonnegut. It's a documentary about what happens when your hero of heroes wants to be your friend. And in that way, it's incredibly endearing. And it really involves you because certainly all of us have that person, whether it's Bruce Springsteen or whoever it is. You've got that person that, oh, my God, what if they wanted to be my friend? McKenna Grace. <laughs> And, uh, you know, and it's also, it's very charming. There's a lot of Vonnegut himself. And because I think of the intimacy with the filmmaker, you you get to see a side of him you wouldn't normally get to see. You Also, there's a lot with his daughters, who I think share a side of him we wouldn't normally get to see. If you are a Kurt Vonnegut fan, this is a must-see documentary. But even if you're not, like, a massive fan of the author, there is something so primal about the what they're doing with this movie. I think it's enjoyable for almost anybody. And you can find it in select theaters and on VOD. Kurt Vonnegut, Unstuck in Time. Next is the true story of the events that led to the death of Kenneth Chamberlain Sr., an elderly African-American veteran with bipolar disorder who was killed during a conflict with police officers who were dispatched to check on him. This is The Killing of Kenneth Chamberlain. And normally this is where I'd play a little bit of sound from the trailer, but the trailer really has no dialogue. It's a very powerful trailer, and it clues you in onto a just a shocking, tragic, very sad story, and it's effectively told in this movie, and the uh, review was written for us by Brandon Thomas. You can find that at madwolf.com, but he found it he found it very compelling. Frankie Vizon plays Kenneth Chamberlain in one of just the, the most searing and beautiful performances, and one of the things that's so impressive about this film is that it is a one-location film with an incredibly small cast, and because of that, you really have to rely on the actors, and all of the actors in this movie are so impressive. David Middell wrote and directed it. I believe it's based on a play, and you can see that, but at the same time, as a as a filmmaker, he does a lot to draw you into this confined space. Just a beautiful and really sad film. Yeah, as you might guess, the subject matter is not nice, but it's really well told, an important story, and again, you can check out Brandon Thomas's review for us at madwolf.com, and you can find it on uh, VOD and also on HBO Max. And a documentary next, The Incredible Story of Dr. Samuel Bora, the only ophthalmologist for over 3 million people in rural Ethiopia who provides free cataract surgery to the blind poor. It's called The End of Blindness. My name is Dr. Samuel Bora. 
I specialize in re cataract surgery here in Ethiopia. Dr. Samuel is the only ophthalmologist for between two and three million individuals. What do you do in that situation? When you see people stay really behind closed doors from cataract, I just want to help those people. And so we have the best quality eye care in the whole country. And the poor patients are the ones who are the beneficiaries. It's a wonderful thing. This is a quick one. This is only 55 minutes, but a fascinating story. And you can find the full review from Rachel Willis uh, at madwolf.com. But she was she was impressed. And what a story about this guy. Yeah, it's just amazing because it takes so little effort just to completely change all of these people's lives. And that he's just doing these surgeries in a matter of 20 minutes apiece. He goes through sometimes 60 in a day, but he is the only person doing them in the entire country of Ethiopia. It's just shocking to see how the kind of impact one person can have on the world. It's so worth watching. Yeah, this is by filmmaker, writer, and director A.J. Martinson, available now on VOD. Very inspiring. You can check Rachel's review at madwolf.com. Uh, it is the end of blindness. Next up is a movie from 2015 that's just now getting a release on VOD. Financially struggling, a married indie band duo regretfully takes a job on a children's show. Despite the money and success, their relationship turns to one of resentment. On one extraordinary evening, a magical man leads them on a path of rediscovery and gives them a second chance at happiness. This is called The Rumper Butts. Who could have predicted that all it would take is a good old-fashioned firing to get the two of you back together again? I honestly thought this might be more work. What are we supposed to do now? In the recording studio? Hmm. We're meant to finish what we started, what we said we would do, what we committed to doing. We almost lost each other. You want to do that again? This is where it all began. We have something to hold on to. We should never let that go. Matt Wiener reviewed this one for us. It's from writer-director Mark Brenner. And it's kind of adorable, and I think it tells a story that seems kind of realistic, the the sort of indie bands of the early 2000s whose music was just huggable, become, <laughs> become children's show personalities and then hate themselves for it. And then it becomes sort of It's a Wonderful Life-esque. And, uh, you know, there's a lot to be said about this movie, and the, the songs are just custom-made to stick in your head forever, but they're also pretty shallow and pointless, as is the film. And also, it, it sort of made me think with the reemergence here in the last few weeks and months of Steve from Blue's Clues. It sort of made me think, yeah, what happens to these people after they achieve big success on a children's show? But uh, Matt wasn't really bowled over by it. It's called The Rumper Butts on VOD, and you can check the full review at madwolf.com. And lastly, a horror comedy that you'll find under a couple different names. Four adorable little girls plot to murder a hockey player after they mistake an act of lovemaking as an attack on their mom. This is called Ankle Biters or Cherry Picker. What's this? We're going to get him, sir. But he's so big. Cut his legs off. That's a bad plan. I serve him. Christy Robb reviewed this one for us over at MadWolf.com. And 
there is there are four excellent reasons to watch this movie, which are the four little girls who are, in fact, sisters who play sisters. They're great. There's nothing inauthentic about them at all. And that really makes it charming and fun and funny. Unfortunately, the adult performers are not nearly as compelling and the story is not that well written. So but the climax is, you know, chef's kiss. So, you know, 50 50. You'll recognize Colin Mockery, mainly from Whose Line Is It Anyway, in the cast. And the uh, writer-director is Bennett D. Brabadier. Did I pronounce that right? That's a fancy name. Yeah, Christy didn't love it, but loved those kids. And you can get the full review at madwolf.com. It's Ankle Biters and or Cherry Picker. You could search on both, and it's on VOD. And we took a week off, but let's get back to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Back after a week of rest and relaxation, who knows what he was doing with his week off, but he's back. We welcome in Daniel Baldwin, a.k.a. the Schlocketeer, back in the lobby with all the latest news. Hip us to it. All right. Well, first up, I have a smorgasbord of VOD release dates for anyone that missed a chunk of this fall's releases in theaters and wants to catch up over the holiday season. Um, No Time to Die and Last Night in Soho are both now available in premium VOD. So if you haven't seen those, now you can. Yeah. Um, Beyond that, Venom, Let There Be Carnage will hit premium VOD on November 23rd. Ridley Scott's The Last Duel will arrive on November 30th. And for folks who don't have Peacock, Halloween Kills will become available through usual VOD outlets on December 13th. Wes Anderson's The French Dispatch will hit on December 14th. And Scott Cooper's Creature Feature Antlers will arrive digitally on December 21st. So, mark your calendars. Gotcha. And then, backing up a tad, Shudder will premiere a new gory monster flick titled Death Valley on December 9th. Um, STX Films has retitled and delayed their Chris Pine action or violence of action. It's now called The Contractor, which is kind of just as generic, but whatever. (laughs) Anyway, that'll come out in theaters on March 18th now. And IFC will release the new Home Invasion Thriller C for me on VOD and in select theaters on January 7th. Also on January 7th will be Festival Darling Sci-Fi Thriller King Car, getting both theaters, select theaters and VOD that day. And then MGM has set their buddy comedy road trip movie Dog, Channing Tatum, for a theatrical release on February 18th. All right, well, you can always get caught up on the latest news and dates and what have you with uh, Daniel. You can find him at The Schlocketeer. Thanks, as always. Hey, thanks for having me. All right, looking ahead to next week. Well, it's Thanksgiving week, so you know we'll have at least a couple of big ones, and we do. We've got House of Gucci next week. Also, Encanto. Power of the Dog. Bruised. The Strings. Autumn Road. The Humans. And Burning. So that'll be a Thanksgiving week stuffed full of goodies. We hope so. Anyway, we'll find out. In the meantime, let us know what you thought about the movies this week, especially Ghostbusters Afterlife. Did you think that finale was just too much or not? Uh, Let us know. Also, King Richard or Tick, Tick, Boom or anything or just what a cutie McKenna Grace is. We agree. You can always find us uh, at Mad Wolf. That's M-A-D-D-W-O-L-F. Also, Mad Wolf Columbus on Facebook and Instagram and the main website where you can find all of our written reviews and our other podcast, our horror movie only podcast called Fright Club. All available for you there at madwolf.com. So until next week, stay well. We hope to hear from you. She is Hope Madden. He's George Wolf. And this is the Screening Room Podcast. Happy Thanksgiving. Have the best day. I do wish we could chat longer, but I'm having an old friend for dinner. Bye. 
Okay, everybody, that's a wrap.